Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Demigods and Half-Bloods, welcome inside Riptide Radio, Comic Book Nation's Percy Jackson After Show. And today we are talking all things Percy Jackson, Episode 7, the penultimate episode. We find out the truth, sort of. And we have an action-packed episode of Riptide Radio for you today. Might I say, the biggest one we've ever done. That's because we have exclusive insight from not one, but two Greek gods, Mr. J. Duplis, Hades himself, is joining us later in the show in an audio capacity. And we also have Toby freaking Stevens, Poseidon, the god of the sea, will be breaking down that flashback with us later in the show. Both of those interviews are audio only, but we did want to make sure we got you guys an exclusive video interview as well. So we have Diorga John, Clarice LaRue, joining us at the end of the show to break down everything about her run on Percy Jackson season one, except of course for the finale. No spoilers in that interview, all spoiler free. Everything that we cover in that interview is episodes one through seven, so nothing to fear. I am your host, Liam Crowley, and I'm joined alongside, as always, by Miss Nicole Drum. Nicole, I have to ask you, we're going to the underworlds today. Yep. What is the spookiest place you've ever been to? I don't think I've been anywhere spooky ever in my life. And the truth is, I don't I don't scare. I have no self of sense self sense of self preservation. Um, when I was younger, my parents would tell me that I could encounter the devil himself in all of his scary glory and be like, "Cool costume, bro." And so, yeah, I don't think I've been anywhere spooky. I honestly just don't get scared like that. Like that's not what scares me. So, what about you? I'm jealous. I've been to a couple haunted houses when I was like in elementary school, and I remember <laughs> this being like, "Oh my god!" I was like clinging on to like my mom's arm, being like, "It's is it gonna be okay?" The worst one for me, I was, I was sharing the story with our producer Peter uh, before we got started. I had my car broken down at 11 p.m. in downtown Philadelphia. I was covering a wrestling show when I was in college. I had driven four hours from Syracuse, where I went to school, down to Philadelphia. Dead car, 30% battery. I uh, had to budget my battery to communicate with AAA and Geico and my parents and be like, am I going to be okay? I have 250 miles to drive and no hope. And I have class at nine in the morning. Is everything going to work out? It all did work out. We made it back in time. Um, but that was that was quite scary. And I felt like Percy and Grover trying to navigate the pits yeah. of Congress in this episode. And that is exactly where we're going to start with this episode. Nicole, before we get into the nitty gritty and all the specifics, your overall impression of Percy Jackson episode seven, the penultimate episode. Did this feel like a penultimate episode to you? It really did. And I'm someone who's watched a lot of television and they always throw a lot at you at that right before the end. There's a lot because there's just a lot to cover usually, but then they want you holding on for whatever's coming in the last episode. But dang, 
there is so much in this episode and they did it not just on like the oh it's a penultimate episode this is on a much bigger scale like every time i thought that they had stuffed enough in the episode they just kept giving us a little bit more i was blown away by this this definitely felt like a penultimate and i think it really does um kind of set the bar pretty high for the season finale yeah and you you say all that in terms of the stuff that they're throwing at us and i think it was completely justified and warranted too because the underworld mm-hmm. as a whole i've i've come to hate the term spin-off i think it's too much these days but but critically, <laughs> if they wanted to make percy jackson to like a whole like cinematic universe beyond just the standalone series there are shows oh my and movies and standalone one-off episodes that you could dedicate entirely to the fields of asphodel entirely to oh, yeah. Artemis, entirely to hades palace there's so much to i was gonna say give them. me a whole give me a whole hades like even just like a side episode like bonus content like 30 minute bonus content of like hades decorating his palace because and we'll talk about that because man it's amazing. Sorry. The, the artwork. The, Posi- oh the Poseidon God. necklace. We didn't even talk about the Poseidon necklace. We will get there. I know we'll get we'll there. Get we there. Have, we'll get there. We have plenty there. of time to dissect that episode, uh, that, that scene in this episode. But yeah, like the, the artwork, the, the fields of Asphodel, like I said, just the decision to put sand around Tartarus, nothing yeah. to grab onto as you're being dragged into it. There's so much here. And again, the show has done such a great job of showing and not telling. And I thought that this episode was a good balance of both in terms of they're showing us all this kind of stuff, but Annabeth is catching us up on the lore. She's telling us what the fields of Asphodel are. Uh, we're, we're understanding what Tartarus is and what's going on with the shoes. We're understanding that this is Hades' palace. This is his domain and why he might not want to meddle with the gods above. There's a lot to love, uh, Nicole, and as you can tell by my tone, I really don't have any complaints with this episode. So before we get into the nitty gritty and have Jay and Toby join us for the Hades and Poseidon breakdowns, let's talk about the underworld as a whole. Uh, Going into this episode, me and you were both very familiar with the fact that they're going to do this gray and dreary and void of color and make Percy Jackson's version of hell more just like something that's nothing. Uh, is that something yeah. that took you by surprise? And, and did you kind of miss the red and fiery side of the underworld? Or do you think that this was like an appropriate tone for it? I think this is a more appropriate tone. Do I love myself a good, red, fiery, freaky, underworld, almost hell-like world? Absolutely. But I think there's something to be said about the psychology of taking the color out of something. And so by making it gray and kind of monochrome in a lot of places until obviously when you get a little further in there's some shifts you you get this sense of you've taken everything that makes life life out of it because red and color that's life and the underworld is not life it is the opposite it is a different type of scenario so by removing the color they're bringing into focus the seriousness of the situation and reminding you that, that you are not in you're not in Kansas anymore kind of situation and that was not intentional but it works <laughs> that's a great callback and yeah i do like this idea that the underworld's also like when you read the percy jackson books at the beginning you do feel like oh it's hell right but then you realize mm-hmm. no tartarus is is the hell side of things yeah the underworld is also not heaven heaven is elysium right exactly. so there's a place in between and that's the underworld. And what that place in between should be is nothing. It's just absent. Yeah, it's muted. It's there's nothing there. It's muted. It's it's a new it's a neutral of neutrals. It's just a space. It's a container. 
It's a container. I, I like that description. And this is a huge shout out to, to production designer Dan Henna because this is essentially his vision brought to life. Like obviously he worked with John and Dan, the showrunners, and Rick to kind of mold this into what they wanted it to be. Uh, but he he told me at New York Comic Con, he was like, well, hell is nothing. Hell should not be something that is like painful or or happy it has to just exist somewhere in between and that's what the underworld is and something i want to dive into within the underworld is the fields of asphodel because here is an area that again we could dedicate a whole episode to which is how the rules and regulations work there are souls being rooted there and their roots are regrets from their life and annabeth starts to get rooted into the underworld what do you think annabeth's regret is oh my god that girl's lived a life so I imagine she's got a lot of regrets. And the thing is, is like, I can't even be, I, I kept hoping she would tell us because she is a character that I have not fully cracked in terms of the live action version of like what's going on inside her head. But like, I feel like for her, there's a lot of regrets. And I think possibly, and this is just going to be my guess based off of what we've seen with her character development. I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't regret not seeing the world differently before now because we saw how her 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 kind of perspective changed back in the tunnel of love and she has been changing a little bit every moment we've seen her since part of me wonders if her regret is not rooted in that on some level because she has definitely been on one side of how all of this works her entire life and now it's different part of me thinks that you know young women tend to sometimes regret living their lives a certain way or like the things they bought into Maybe that's where she's at right now, but I don't know. It's interesting. I just like the idea that the the thing that's holding you back or the real hell, if you want to put it in more like non Greek God terms is within yourself. And I just really like how they made that very, very obvious with the you're stuck here because of your own regrets. You only feel regret when you realize what you did was wrong. Like you can have done yeah. a wrong thing and years and years go by, but in your head, it exists as the right thing in that moment. And once that ice mm-hmm. breaks, once the thing clicks of realizing Maybe that was the wrong way to go about it. That's when the regret sinks in. So for me, I look at Annabeth and that conversation she has with Hephaestus at the end of episode five of like, maybe I was once that way and obeying the gods blindly and only seeking glory and nothing else in between. And once she realized that Percy like opened her eyes to, I'm getting chills right now just talking about it. Because she is having that <laughs> moment of realization, that that tangible realization that like she is changing, whether she likes yeah. it or not. She She is being awoken into a new perspective on this entire Greek world. And the fact that she is being rooted in Asphodel for that moment, it tells me that she hasn't fully come to terms with that. Exactly. She's still having like an internal battle of what is right, chasing the Kleos, chasing the glory, mm-hmm. or being alongside Percy and saying, you know, maybe we tear it all down. Or maybe it's something even more deep rooted with the trust yeah. with Luke, what happened with Talia. Like there's so many different yeah. avenues to go down. And I like that this is essentially planting a seed. And I do think mm-hmm. we'll get it resolved one day down the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this girl's got trauma. On, on trauma on trauma and i have one time remember somebody telling me regret is a part of healing it's how you handle the regret that determines your path and i think that whatever it is that she's regretting we're seeing her healing from that kind of the process it's just to be how is she going to handle that going forward and not not to break anyone's heart a little bit more but to circle back to something that happens at the beginning of this episode the flashback how it starts with uh sally making the reference to the wizard of oz Percy not understanding it. And then later in that flashback, we realized that she was about to send him away and not make all those, you know, next six, seven years worth of memories with him. 
and the fact that they ended up did staying together. They got to experience those movies together. And then we think back to episode five when Annabeth says she hasn't seen a movie at all. And the fact that she never had that entire chunk of childhood that Percy got to experience before Camp Athlete. And then in case you missed it, he makes the reference. We're not in Kansas anymore. She's like, we left Kansas four days ago. And Percy's like, oh my God. This girl still hasn't seen any movies. She hasn't seen one of the most successful movies of all time, The Wizard of Oz, something that is ingrained into pop culture, something that we understand as human beings before we even watch the movie because it's that yes. like, stitched in. Did you feel that? Did you? Did I you did. Like, I, Man. It was just this ball of like, I got emotional about that, especially after like rewatching um the, the big stuff with sally in the episode like i the whole thing like and i'm also a huge wizard of oz fan so when i started thinking about like, what she made that comment and i'm like oh god she hasn't she hasn't seen like one of the most iconic movies to see as a child because that's where you, i mean that's like where the magic begins for a lot of people you know that that's where movies become magic where stories become magic and she's missed that that poor baby it's it's tragic. Oh, Fortunately, she's able to make it out of Asphodel. Yes. She ignites the pearl at the beginning. And they are operating with one less pearl. We go into the underworld mm-hmm. with four pearls. Everyone was like, that's a change from the books. What's going on? Oh, it's probably going to make it a lot harder when they end up losing one of those pearls and are forced to make the decision. And that's when Percy and Grover make their way up to Hades' mm-hmm. palace, which is a gorgeous design, by the way. This like yes. inverted Mount Olympus with the mountains coming down, the guards, and just the it's chiseled out of rock. It, it, it looks like it's chiseled out of like dried so lava. Cool. It, yeah. was, it was something special. Yeah, it looked like a volcano it, like erupted upside down, and here is this fantastic, like it, 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 I, it actually kind of reminded me a little bit about an inverted version of the Emerald City and Wizard of Oz. I challenge you to go back and watch it and think of that in your head. It looks a little bit, they are definitely not in Kansas anymore when they see that. And I think there's a little subtle going on there because it looks a little bit like an inverted Emerald City. And isn't there a whole bit in the Wizard of Oz where they're like going through a forest and like tiptoeing and everything? Uh-huh. Like, so is that The journeys the are very parallel here. They're They're going through all these different places. They're going through different landscapes to get to this the city on a hill type of situation so yeah there is definitely they are not in kansas anymore they're going to see the wizard but it's it's hades there is layers to this stuff nicole so many layers ah i love it um when we eventually get into the palace we do end up meeting the man himself hades mr j duplis but before we dissect meeting Hades. Let's hear from the man himself. Welcome into Riptide Radio, Mr. J. Duplis. Liam Crowley with comicbook.com here with Hades himself from Percy Jackson, Mr. J. Duplis. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So when you got cast in this show, I found it so fascinating because all the Greek gods kind of got cast way after the main ensemble was announced. I believe you were paired with Aries. I think you and Adam Copeland were announced at the same time. So going into this project, like what was your level of familiarity with the lore, the books, just the Percy Jackson franchise as a whole? I have a 15-year-old girl and an 11-year-old boy, and Percy Jackson, the book the book series, is hands down their favorite piece of art across any medium. They have each probably read the entire series at least five times. And I have read a lot of it to them. I've heard it over audiobook on road trips. It was part of our bedtime routine where we, you know, say goodnight, hit play on the audiobook, and they go to sleep. So I know a lot about it. And uh, I am a huge fan. I think it's just such a beautiful series. And when I heard that, you know, 
Disney was going to make the um, the television series and that Rick Riordan was going to be centered creatively. I told my agents right away, I'm like, if there's any way I can be a part of it. I said it, I let it go. I did not think that it would happen. And when they offered me the role of Hades, you know, my kids' eyes popped out of their heads. If they have to holler at me, they're like, no Hades! You know, so it is a big part of our world. And we've been watching it every night uh, when they drop as a family every Tuesday night. So. It's pretty fun. It's so funny you say that because in the show, uh, you very much make it clear that you and Aries are not in cahoots, but the story you just told is almost exactly the story that Adam told me about. His daughters were into it. He's watching it every Tuesday with them. They were enjoying it before he even showed up. So I'm so excited to to hear what their reaction is to actually seeing you in this world. So with your familiarity going in, uh, you obviously knew this character a little bit and Hades seemed like something that you wanted to sink your teeth into. What was your kind of preconception of Hades on the page and what did you want to do with it when you brought it to the screen? Yeah, I mean, Hades is obviously culturally very known even beyond the, the book series. What I was told is that like, you know, Rick and Dan and Jonathan were creating something very specific. So my, I really tried to just go in and absorb what they wanted. And what I re- basically the directive that I got from them is that they didn't want Hades to be like one thing. They didn't want him to be like Arch or, you know, and now that we're watching the show and we know how it is, it's like, these are all complicated characters and everything feels very lived in. So the more that we went, it, it, it got really exciting to me as an actor because I was realizing, oh, I don't need to just play one thing. Like I'm a God who is, uh, uh, got, feels like he got the short end of the stick. I live in a lonely nether world. Um, I'm excited to have company when company shows up, but I also have my own agenda. I have a lot of skin in the game. Um, And that was cool, too. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things about the scene that I got to play is, you know, not only do we have like the real world stakes of having Percy's mother behind me and, you know, this, you know, the the underworld being essentially like, you know, the, the goal of the first season journey, but, you know, the deal with Kronos that 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 gets dropped in this scene, um, there's a lot of stakes for me in it, too. So it just felt great to to be able to play something. I'm not just dropping information. I'm I'm like a real character who has a lot of skin in the game and and you know that's all you can really ask for as an actor. Before we get into like the nitty-gritty of, of who Hades is, I want to circle back to something you said about just your admiration for Rick Riordan who created this universe and the fact yeah. that he was so central that being something that you wanted to be a part of. Uh did you get to have any one-on-one conversations with Rick? Yeah, I had a lot of conversations with him I mean you know he's he's very present in the making of the show he's just there being a part of it so we just talked about uh, everything from life to to just what it's like being Hades down there and and what he's after so you know tons of like relaxed conversations honestly which is a testament to like the 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 set culture that they built there like I think you can feel it in the making of the show it feels very lived in and it feels very personal you know and that was, I think, one of the coolest things is getting up there and realizing that, oh, yes, we do. We are making our gargantuan, fantastical show that is a tremendous property. <laughs> you know, all of those, the trappings of what makes a show very big and very watchable. But, you know, on the ground, it honestly felt like a group of very focused people making a very personal piece of art. And uh, it was cool to get to know Rick and, you know, be a part of like helping him make his vision come across with live action. So 
that was really exciting really exciting i told my kids all about i would like call them at night and say what was going on and they were like oh my god this is the best it's gonna be so good yeah i love hearing that and it's so fascinating too with your character because like hephaestus you have very limited screen time but the lines of dialogue you deliver have so much layers to them and one line i really wanted to dissect was you say that family drama is why i don't go up there anymore referencing mount olympus and how you don't want to get tangled with poseidon and zeus but in the books Hades is like banished to the underworld. So is that line of dialogue kind of saying that he's there by choice? Yeah, I mean, it's a really great, great question. Um, some people say that kind of stuff when they really don't have a choice, but they're trying to make it sound like they do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, the feeling of that line, and I don't know what take they use because I haven't seen it yet. But, you know, I definitely in my mind am playing with, you know, feeling banished, you know, and feeling like I got the short end of the stick. Like I'm stuck down here by myself. And that's certainly what it feels like, you know, on set uh, there. Like we shot on that 360 volume stage and, you know, they make it very clear that this dude is just like, he's down there and nothing's going on. He's playing a very long game time-wise and that he's, you know, he's got a lot there's he's 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 got some desire himself and it seems like he's he's itching for some action because as soon as percy name drops chronos that's something that anytime chronos is brought up any of the elder people in the show oh, they'd be trigger, trigger <laughs> central <laughs> well because no one like takes percy seriously no one takes these demigods seriously they're just viewed as, as yeah. children but hades on the other hand takes yeah. that and is immediately like well i need the bolts because i need to protect myself so Absolutely. why do you think hades takes the demigods so seriously I think he recognizes that there, Percy's knows some things. Obviously, like the gods are going to use the demigods as pawns to try and get what they can get. But I think, like, I think he realizes at that point that Percy might have a lot more going on than your average demigod, and that he needs to play his cards as smartly as possible. When you say cards, my mind goes to mytho magic, and that's because <laughs> I know you know the lore. I know you know Nico D'Angelo is going to come down the line, Bianca as well. Obviously, without getting too much into those characters, because obviously we're going to flesh them out in later seasons, and hopefully we get there. Uh, but for you as Hades, you know, these gods are very layered. They A lot of people focus on the negative, but they also have a lot of positive qualities. There's a reason why they were made immortal beings after all. Uh, so what are some qualities of Hades that you hope to see Nico embody one day? Oh, God, that's a great question. Patience, baby. Patience. I mean, that's the one thing that I felt when when i um when i walked onto set is like oh boy is this guy just biding his time down here so i think patience and um you know strategy like i mean i think one of the things about being banished to the netherworld is like you get a lot of time on your hands so i think he's being very strategic and concentrated about what it is that he needs to make happen so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a lovely observation too. That like, yeah, these gods are 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 wrecking balls uh, for humanity, but they also uh, have hearts and they have loves and they have children that they love, even if they don't treat them that well all the time. You know, they are dealing with their own sets of issues. And I love how in the series how you come to realize their limitations as well. Like you really feel their their plights. And their plots in life, honestly, as much as like the, the demigods. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one final question for you, Jay, before we get out of here. Uh, I love the musical Hades Town. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, I've not seen it, but I, I, I know a little bit about it. Yeah. 
Well, obviously, I, if you're familiar with Greek mythology and you're familiar with the franchise, it really dives into the relationship between Persephone and Hades. And for a character like you, considering you only share the screen with Walker and Arya in this first season, there are so many characters we met this season that I hope we get to see you in scenes with. But there's also so many characters that haven't been introduced that would be in your future uh, should that day come. Uh, so looking towards the future, who are a couple characters or actors that you'd like to share the screen with uh, in the future of Percy? I mean, honestly, the the... I thought they did such a great job with the casting. They're just really going for really solid actors who want to explore these worlds fully. I was telling somebody earlier, it is a little wild because Tim Sharp is a really good friend of mine. Jason Manzukas is a really good friend of mine. Suzanne Cryer lives three houses down from me. It really feels very contained. So I'll just say those three, uh, just because I'm buds with them, and it would be so fun to go head to head with them in this alternate universe, you know, because they're a part of my, my, my human life. Um, so that would be pretty exciting. I would say those three to start. So Jay's perspective of everything Hades and Percy Jackson is so fascinating. And I was able to give some of my thoughts uh, on his mm -hmm. portrayal of Hades in that interview. So Nicole, the floor is yours. I want to hear from you your idea of how they portrayed this version of Hades, you know, not in all black. He's got a little bit of green in there, not all dreary and upset. He's kind of jovial. Was this something that took you by surprise? A little bit. And I've got to admit, Hades is probably my second favorite God just in general, because I, I love the stories around Hades. This was surprising. I'm not saying that Hades as in the book or Hades and other representations isn't a charismatic character because he absolutely is. But I think this presentation of Hades, I did not expect him to be so friendly. Like, and it's not like he's friendly, but you, you definitely know there's still some manipulation going on. So there's definitely that piece of it. But I just really liked how they gave him kind of a, a depth of character that I wasn't expecting. Like Hades can be a little one note when you think of like what he represents and he is smooth. He is stylish. Did you see the couches? Like those were fantastic. That is not what I expected Hades to have. I expected like, something maybe a little more Victorian. No, these were very contemporary and very nice and everything was well appointed. And even what he'd done with Sally was stylish. Like he is stylish. He is friendly. He's approachable in a sense. Like you don't necessarily feel that immediate fear and terror. And any people could tell me I'm wrong on this, but he also kind of a little bit reminded me of the animated Disney version of Hades. And I'm thinking about those eyebrows. But he did, he kind of had that same, a little bit of a larger than life, slightly cartoony kind of approach that I thought was very interesting because you expect, we've, and also the series has built Hades up to be, he is this bad dude. Like he is doing stuff, trying to start a war and you get there and he's like, I want no part of this. Like I didn't, what? No. And he's not who you expect him to be. And I was really taken by, cause I really honestly expected they were going to get there and we would get like dark music and a dude all in black possibly with slicked hair even though i knew who was playing the character i expected something maybe a little less charismatic and instead we get something that's somewhere between the animated hades and tom ellis's lucifer he's you know he's cool like i would want to talk to him i'm not gonna trust him because you can definitely don't trust him but he's not what i thought it was and i thought that was interesting because everything about what we're seeing here other than possibly being chased by Cerberus. That, that was a little scary. Um, nothing about this particular version of this segment of the world is particularly terrifying. And I think that says something 
about making making Hades more charismatic speaks to the idea of representing the unknown about death and the afterlife that we have as humans as being seductive, but also kind of scary in its own way. Like you, the, the existential fear we have is not always big and frightening. Sometimes it's comforting. Sometimes it's, I can see why maybe this isn't so bad and that's what makes it scary. Cause you can actually kind of see that a little bit with Grover and Percy is there's, he's not cause Hades isn't what they expected either. And there's a little bit of that. Maybe, maybe this isn't so bad. I think that speaks to just the, the condition of the real terror of the unknown is it may not be as frightening as you think it is. And that's what makes him effective. Yeah. It's just so I- cool. I love that because like like you're saying too, this entire you know six episodes leading up to this, we are in our minds thinking that he is worse than Ares. Mm-hmm. Like think about how scary yeah. Ares was in episode five, and now we have one episode before we meet him to in our minds be like, how much worse can we get can than Ares? And like you said there, that is almost working in his favor because then when you arrive and you let your guard down, that's when he could pry. He doesn't in this mm-hmm. episode. We know. <clears throat> We are only scratching the surface with uh, Hades. So I don't even want to use the trust word with him whatsoever. But it is kind of cool that he is showing that side of himself without fully Mm -hmm. revealing his cards. Because something that Jay talks about in that interview that I wanted to ask you, Nicole, he mentions he doesn't want to go up to Olympus because he can't be bothered with the drama. In the Mm -hmm. books, he is banished to the underworld. From Jay's perspective, he thinks that him saying this whole idea of like, oh, I'm here by choice, might be him just trying to reassume some control when actually he is banished. Yeah. But again, it's left up for interpretation. So I wanted to ask you, do you think Hades is in the underworld by choice or is he actually banished there by his brothers? Oh, he's he's banished. He's ba- This is definitely a case of I wasn't fired, I quit. He's he's the kind of charismatic guy that when something crazy bad happens, like it's like a super charismatic, dude, I heard you fight. No, dude, I quit. And that's, I feel that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, I left on my own accord. I don't want no part of that. No, they're, I, no, keep me out of this. I'm here. I'm here. For, I'm fine down here. And he's, he's both, most selling it to himself, but also selling it to the people around him to, to save face a little bit. Like, would you as a God want to be cast out and sent nope by? No, he's got to save face a little bit. So this is, maybe it's some narcissism or something. I don't know, but this is definitely a case of, I wasn't fired. I quit. I love that. I, that. That is exactly what I think it should be. Um, and that just, again, adds more layers to this, uh, just the ego and just like perception of pride that, that Hades has with himself and his place in this whole world. Uh, we didn't really talk about the Krusty's opening scene. I enjoyed oh, yeah. it. Again, we got right to it. And I thought it was a nice <clears throat> dynamic of like, this could have been that moment of getting lured in and then, oh, mm-hmm. we don't trust this guy. Oh, not everything's not as it seems. And then we eventually resolve it towards the end. But no, they, they had this opening scene as a way to show how the team has evolved to working with each other. Yeah. Like Percy deceiving, talking, stalling for time. Annabeth is under the Yankees cap, pushing Krusty into the bed. Something that I had no idea about till I was doing research uh, for this episode. Uh, Krusty is played by Julian Richings. Julian Richings Wait. played Charon in the Lightning Thief movie. Is, oh my god, have, you're right! We have one duplicate casting. Everyone was calling for Logan Lerman to play uh, Poseidon. Everyone was calling for Daddario to play Athena. There has been one duplicate casting, and that is Mr. Julian Richings. He is our thread of connectivity between the Lightning Thief movie and 14 years later, the, the Lightning oh Thief adaptation, adaptation on a TV show. 
Um, I just thought that was an amazing fun fact. That's wild. We have one connection. Everybody, we got one. We got one. That's <laughs> and, wild. And he, oh my god. That, I didn't even I didn't notice that watching. Well, it's probably I just was like, wow, he's a great crusty. <laughs> it's probably because in the in the movie he's got he's got the hood on as Karen. Is it yeah. Karen? Chiron? Not Chiron. Chiron's at Camp Half. No, How do you pronounce um, C-H-A-R-O-N? Sharon? 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 I'm not... I'm I'm sorry. Greek, what if we just call no, him Karen? Let's call him Karen. He could be a Karen. Because he's kind of a Karen. Yeah, he's kind of like <laughs> to the back of the line. You know, you didn't... You didn't yeah. Wait. The, the, these Greek... Uh, he wants to speak to your manager. <laughs> he does. He, he was like, I'll take you to Hades. I'll, I'll, I'll show you what my manager's like. You you don't want to mess with him. Um, By the end of that conversation with Hades, we get the first name drop or the first name drop with weight because it's the second time Kronos is mentioned. It's Percy realizing that there is a bigger force at play. Um, he feels that with Tartarus getting pulled down into Tartarus by the winged shoes, the bolts appearing in the backpack, everything's starting to connect slowly for him, but he doesn't completely see the full picture as we know the full picture within just reading the book. That moment of realization, I thought was one of the most well edited ep- like moments in this entire series because Hades is still talking and he's rattling off big information that is when Mm -hmm. he says the line about like i don't want no drama with with my brothers that's why i stay down here that's a big line and they made the choice to focus on percy focus on walker the camera zooms in on him the the noise is kind of getting drowned out it has kind of like the flash grenade sound effect of him just like not hearing anything around him just hearing his own thoughts and then he says chronos and hades like looks up all, all perked up and in that moment i just feel the like five season arc we're about to go on mm-hmm. and the hades reaction to it i don't know if this took you by surprise nicole but it shocked me because he takes the threat seriously yes he does not joke like you can he has the moment oh and then he offers him like ask me for sanctuary ask me for sanctuary because he's angling to get that bolt for himself because he knows he's gonna need it <laughs> like hades ha- recognizes this is a big deal oh lord he coming we are in trouble I need that bolt. This is real. Stuff has just gotten real. And like everything, like you can almost, and I didn't notice, like I have to go back to look and see if there's any lighting changes, but I almost felt like the atmosphere shifted. And I wonder if it's visible or if it's just me like being in tune with it and getting a little bit of a chills in that moment. But yeah, he takes it really seriously, which is something you would not have expected. This very jovial, hey, why don't you just have, have a drink and hang out or let's make a trade kind of situation just moments earlier. The entirety of his body language even changes. And the game is afoot. It is now on. I, I know I know people want like that these two properties to exist as their own and they, they very much do. But similar to the Harry Potter side of like saying mm-hmm. the name Voldemort has weight, saying yep. the name Kronos has Gross. weight, saying any name in, in this world uh, I, like that was a thing from the books like you know you don't just say the god's name just like uh, out on a whim you don't mess with zeus's domain percy can't fly like there there are things like that where it's like you don't want to interfere a little bit so when percy says that name out loud i think he realizes that he does he shouldn't right he he has yeah. that moment of like i'm pretty close to where this guy is being kept right now in tartarus and me even saying his name out loud could stir something but he realizes now is the time to like sound the alarm and Hades' reaction to it, I think, is so refreshing because Hephaestus treats Annabeth. He, he even says to Annabeth, like, run along, little girl. Like, he doesn't pay her no mind at the very beginning. Uh, the same with how Dionysus reacts to Peter Johnson. The same way how Ares is just like, 
whatever kids like I'm in charge here and and doesn't even realize he's being deceived because he's so caught up in his own arrogance. Hades is the one Olympian that takes these demigods seriously. And seriously. I think that is so refreshing, but it also adds a whole new perspective to him as a character. And even further than that, it adds a whole new perspective to him as a father. Because yep. if and when we get to season three and we understand, well, I don't believe him and Nico meet in in the Titans curse, but when they eventually do have a face-to-face confrontation in a later season, I think we're going to see a father-son dynamic that is so much more pure than any of the mm-hmm. animosity between Percy and Poseidon, any, any of the turmoil between Athena and Annabeth. Like, I think Hades, like, I know I just said earlier in this episode, Nicole, that I don't want to use the trust word, but the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to trust Hades. I, so I told you he's more trustworthy. And I honestly think a piece of that probably comes from the fact that he is so divorced from everything going on. He got He got fired. He got sent away. And since he wants no part of it, I think that being split away from it has probably changed a lot for him. He's kind of isolated. He's kind of, I mean, if you know Hades, he's even just in, you know, mythology in general, he's not really like in with the, in with the click. Like he's living a different life. He's experiencing different things. And I think that makes him understand and recognize that they've got their heads up their butt when it comes to these kids and they need to take it seriously because the outside perspective is where you're going to see your weak spots. That's why, why do you think when people sell houses, they have home inspectors come in, you're looking for the problems you can't see yourself. And that's what these kids are kind of doing to all of this. And he's like, they're seeing it. I need to take it seriously. It's, it works. And I think it makes him possibly the most interesting of the gods. I I, I would trust him on this. It, when the war breaks out, I would go hang out in Hades. He, he seems Let's like go a hang down there. Guy. He seems yeah. like there could be sanctuary down in the underworld. Well, I was making that statement. We shall see in the future. But Hades is not the only god we get in this episode, Nicole. We get to meet for the first time in an unexpected moment, at least for me when I was first watching uh, this episode a little bit early. We got to watch them as screeners. Mm-hmm. Poseidon walks in. Poseidon uh, has the moment with Sally, a flashback that we were teased about. We didn't know exactly what context it would be in. Would it be lovey-dovey? Would it be when they're first meeting? Or would it be kind of therapeutic? Before we dissect this scene, let's talk to the man himself. Mr. Toby. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Stevens. Toby, it's cool to hear your voice because Walker kept raving about how you have the best accent he's ever heard. So it's, 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 it's an honor to hear you speak directly to me. Uh, Walker. <laughs> what a guy. He's the man. Um, I wanted to get yeah. started by, by asking you about uh, your creative relationship uh, with John and Dan. You guys obviously worked together on Black yeah. Sales. Uh, when did that whole process of, of you guys getting together, when did that all start? Oh man, it was a long time ago now. It's about, I mean, it's around 10 years ago. And uh, they, yeah, I, I auditioned for, to play this character, Captain Flint in the series Black Sails. And, you know, they very wisely and rightly chose me out of a whole bunch of other people that weren't, just weren't the right thing. And, uh, and yeah, we just, I, I, 
I love both of them. Diana and John are dear, dear friends of mine. And, you know, we've worked with each other for a long time and known each other for a long time. And, and I, I, yeah, when they asked me to do this, I was, yeah, I was like, you know, beside the fact that it was such a sort of totemic series of books and such a totemic character, I was like, I'd do anything for you guys because I just love working with them. So, uh, but it, it, it was also a great part. So, you know, win-win. Yeah, absolutely. It's Poseidon as a character, you know, obviously beyond Percy Jackson is so, you know, tied into just lore as a whole of storytelling in general. Yeah. Uh, was Did you have a, fam a familiarity with the Percy Jackson books before you signed on to this? To be honest with you, my son had read them. He was a huge fan, but I hadn't read them. I knew what they were about, obviously. And, you know, I, I do, I know the, the Greek myths and sort of I grew up watching Clash of the Titans and all those things. So um, I, I knew about all of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I hadn't read the books up, up until they, you know, they asked me to, to look at this. And then I, I read the first one. It's funny. All the gods seem to be of that mindset. It was, I talked with Jay Duplass last week. He said the same thing. Kids were diehard fans. He was becoming more familiar with the show uh, when the show came calling. Same thing with Adam playing Ares. So it seems like you guys are all in that bracket together. I want to talk about your two specific scenes uh, in this show. For now, we're just going to talk about the flashback in episode seven. This moment, being an original scene from the books, is something that, for me as a diehard fan of these books, these are the type of magical moments that get enhanced by the fact that we're adapting it for live action. Because we can fill in yeah. stuff and we can add new layers to a story that is already so familiar with so many people. When you walk in as Poseidon and you sit down next to Sally, you two don't look at each other. I have my own interpretation as to why, but I want to ask you, what's your interpretation of why Poseidon and Sally can't lock eyes right now? Well, I think they can't because he's a god and he's appearing to her in the in the in the mortal world. And it, and I mean he's it's it's also I think it's one of those things where they keep on talking in the books and in the thing about them there's a mist. When you're in the mortal world, you can't you can't quite see them, and so I feel that it's also he's a presence to her. He's a very real presence to her, but she cannot see him at that moment. And I think that also their story is that he is that there is this uh, gap between them, but his presence they connect on a deeper level than just being kind of like two people in a room. They connect on a very, very deep level, but but that she cannot actually physically perceive him at that time. Mm -hmm. That connection is so palpable because she says, uh, or Poseidon says to Sally, like, you know, one of the hardest things for you right now is probably the fact that you have no one to say this to. So I, Poseidon, I will listen in that moment. How often is Poseidon being that shoulder for Sally to cry on? Well, I think it doesn't happen all the time, but I think it's, it's those things where I think when they, they need it most, he's there. I mean, it's like with, with Percy, he intervene, he intercedes in moments where Percy needs him the most and he's there, he intercedes. And I think it's the same for Sally. He can only really be there when she really, really needs. It can't be some sort of casual thing. Hey, I'll meet you at 9.30 tonight. We're gonna go and have some dinner together around the, you know, in the diner around the corner, you know, it's like, it's got to, it only happens when it really needs to happen. Sally responds to that and her declaration is that she wants him to discover, Percy, to discover who he can be before your family tries to tell him 
who they want him to be. And it seems yeah. like Poseidon's kind of at this disconnect, right? Between, you know, the Zeus, the Zeus's of the world who are going to the extremes of how they want the world to operate. And then the Hephaestuses who seem a little bit like timid and shy to, to push back against the gods. From Poseidon's perspective, who does he want Percy to be? I think he wants Percy to be who Percy is going to be. I think he, I, I, I mean, I don't want to make Poseidon too much of a sort of squidgy kind of, you know, human dad. But I, I do feel that he wants Percy to be who, who, he want, who he's going to be. So I, I, I think he doesn't want to. He, that's why he's been sort of standing off. I think he's afraid of, of becoming like one of the other gods where they sort of impose their ego on, their, on everything. Do you know what I mean? Like Zeus and like these, you know, that I think he's different. I think Poseidon is different. And I think that's what's great is all of the gods have different qualities. They're very different people, and I, but yet they're one family. Um, and, and um, you know, I think Poseidon is different from all of them. The way he treats his son and the way that he treats, you know, like if you go back to the Greek myths, like these gods were doing terrible things. They were going to like turning themselves into all kinds of things to to have children or, and they had like loads of children all over the place. And in this, it sort of take, has a nod to that. But I think what, what this does is it makes the relationship between him and Virginia very real. It, it is love. They, they, you know, they did and they do love one another. So Toby has a lot of insightful analysis on those lines, mm -hmm. because if we add up each individual word Poseidon says in this episode, I don't think it totals more than like 50. The gods yeah, are very selective with their dialogue. Every word, every sentence has weight and 50 different perspectives and interpretations. So Nicole, I wanted to ask you some of your perspectives on what Poseidon is saying to Sally. First off, why do you think he comes to Sally in this moment? Considering this doesn't seem like the make or break fight or flight moment he's appeared mm -hmm. for Percy within the series. He, he reaches out to save Percy when he's a legit about to plummet to his death. Right now, it seems like Sally's just having a bad day, yet he's still there for her. Yeah. I think this actually may speak more to the dynamic of their relationship overall, which up to this point, we've, we've had, we just kind of largely assumed that he went away and that was it. And she was just carrying on with what knowledge that she had. Um, I, I think this suggests that there is more of an active co-parenting relationship between the two. And that's why he answers her call and that she doesn't call all the time. Like it's, if she's calling it serious business and he knows he needs to show up, that there's a reason for it. And I think that really speaks to just that dynamic with any, between any parents, there's always that dynamic of you want to, you want to bring in the other parent for every little thing, but sometimes you just need to sit down and be like, this is hard. And I think Sally, this shows how Sally and Poseidon have worked that out prior to us meeting them together. And I don't know. I think, and my perspective is a little bit different as a parent, because when I first read these books, I was not a parent. I was nowhere near being a parent. And, and now that I am a parent, I can sort of understand, I, full disclosure, I expected to be really annoyed with, with Poseidon this episode, despite the fact that he, I love him. I mean, clearly the Poseidon necklace, y'all. Um, I, I love Poseidon. I think that as a, his, as a mythological figure, he's fascinating. I was excited to meet him, but I was like, bro, where have you been? Like, what have you been doing? And then he starts talking and as a parent, there is this notion of letting your child come into their own without you fixing everything. And sometimes life is hard 
And as a parent, especially as a mom, because I really felt Sally in this, like I, I would, I was crying with her at this because you do things for your children that you know are good for them. And then they say things like, why don't you love me? Why are you pushing me away? Why are you getting rid of me? You hate my kid the other day screamed, I hate you because I told him he couldn't do something and it cuts you even though you know you're doing the right thing. And I think that in Poseidon's own way, that's what he's doing. He's realizing he can't come in and fix everything every time. He can't offer wisdom every time. Plus he's bound by his own rules. He's bound by this world that he lives in. He's just as stuck as everyone else. And he's letting his son be his son because he recognizes that he is different. Because when Sally is like, this is why I don't want him to, this is why I want him with me longer. This is why I don't want to, I really don't want to send him to camp. This is why I want him to be with me. He's like, then, then that's, then there's your answer. Like he understands that letting your child develop and become their own person with their own path and their own set, their own internal compass is important. And he is trying to be a good dad in that sense by not stepping in and imposing that, that world on him now which I think to a certain extent, a lot of the other gods probably do to some extent. He's taking a very hands-off approach. And while I still have some questions about his parenting style, I understand where he's coming from. I get it. He's, he's trying to do the best he can in a broken situation that his hands are just as much tied in. And what I loved so much about this, first of all, the way this scene is framed, I don't know if you've been ever been to a theatrical performance where like the two people are having a conversation, but they're sitting on stools and they're just looking at the stage. And yeah. so they're not looking at each other. This felt very much like that to where you had to go between the two to read what was going on. Cause everything unsaid is between them. And I loved, I love how this show is doing a lot of like theater tricks to make you see the things that are unspoken. And I, this, this scene in particular really said that to me, but what I really enjoyed about the, and also please give Virginia call all the awards right now just right now everything in this episode that she does is incredible but that scene in the restaurant with poseidon it just i i don't even i don't even have words for what she was doing there but what i love about poseidon here that we meet him we are meeting him kind of on the back foot because this is a this is a tough situation and she's calling him in not necessarily as a God, but as a dad, like I, I need you right now. And you get the sense that something is not, the relationship is not what it was, but they have come together to do this. And you can see the pain that they're both in. And up to this point, we have gotten this idea that there is no sacrifice involved for the gods, that they just have kids. They send them into the world. Whatever happens, happens. Some of them care more than others, but this is just how it works. And it's in the body language, it's in the weight of his words, and it's in the way he chooses not to even just as a stranger walk by Percy and just hear his voice. This hurts him. He is, he is making a sacrifice and not just a, because one of the things I think it was Annabeth who said that the, the kids are a gift. We are gifts. I don't think Percy's a gift. I think Percy is something he values very, very much. And that this is killing him, that he can't do what he needs to do. And it completely changes kind of the idea of 
you realize that Percy may be wrong about his dad, which kids are often wrong about their parents. We, even we are, I mean, I remember now that I'm an adult, I'm like, oh my God, the things I criticize my parents for, I get it now. I was so wrong. But this is definitely a moment where we start to understand that what's happening with Percy is very, very special. And that Poseidon's known from the beginning that this, this child is going to be different. He is different. And props to that goes to Sally. But there is definitely a real co-parenting relationship here that there is definitely a lot more to. But like, I just got chills, especially with the body language. You see his shoulder slump as he's delivering those words. That is a dad that's powerless to do anything, but he knows he's doing the right thing. And it made me want to call my dad. There's, there's so and I much. I actually call my dad after this. So dad, if you're listening. I love that. There's so you much you said are. there that I, I just, I just want to expand upon because like, like everything you said is like, that's what makes the scene so powerful. We can talk. You just spoke about the scene longer than the scene actually is. And there's going to be hundreds of other podcasts out there that also dissect the scene for hours and hours. And that is the value of good screenwriting. And that is the value of good execution by the actors delivering those lines. The, the bit you said about the blocking of them not looking at each other. Uh, Toby said in the interview, uh, he mentioned that to him, part of that was because you know, Sally is not a god. She's not a demigod either. So she can't necessarily see fully through the mist. So she might not be able to like look at him from like a rules and regulations perspective. Toby, you gave a great performance, but I'm going I'm going to deny that perspective because to me, they're not looking at each other because they love each other so much. And there's something about like, I've had phone calls with people I love. I've had, you know, text messages with people I love. There's something that changes when you see someone you love face to face. And there's an emotion that you either have to act on and if you can't it just makes it all the more painful and i think they both recognize because neither of them makes an effort to look at one another it would, it would be one thing i think we, our perspective on poseidon would be a, a lot different if he was like turning to sally and like hey you know look at me it's gonna be okay but he understands himself that he is also as as down bad as sally is like he he doesn't want to mess with her emotions the 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 same way she doesn't want to mess with his emotions and the only way that this is going to work is calling back to what hermes was talking about in the past episode of like we need to stay away and that sucks and like that's sometimes what parenting is and his version of staying away is a lot more severe because he's a god and percy has to grow up in this world not with his hand being held by a deity from above like it reminds me of the Peter Parker conversation from Captain America Civil War, where he's talking to Tony and he's like, I couldn't play football then, so why should I now? Like now I have these like God-given abilities that would enhance me to my peers. I shouldn't act on them because it's wrong. I'm playing with a different rule set. And I think that's how, a little bit how Poseidon views like bringing Percy up of like, listen, I want you to also be the other side of what a half-blood is, the, the human side of like, you know, grow and, and and fall on your face and learn to pick yourself back up. Because once upon a time, thousands of years ago, these gods were mortal. Like gods were made immortal beings after getting to a certain point. And if these demigods have a god holding their hand through every step of their way, they're not going to turn out to be worthy of being on a Mount Olympus down the line. So I think that was very important. Another thing I want to bring up was the reason why he can't talk to Percy in that moment. Uh, obviously, when I when I spoke to Toby, he was thinking back to that scene and not seeing the finished product. Um, but in the finished product, there is an audio cue that right after Sally asks 
do you want to speak with him just to hear his voice? Thunder rumbles in the background before yep. gives his answer. And to me, that Zeus saying, That's a warning. Watch it. Watch yep, that's it. a I warning. Let, I let you have this conversation. Do not take a single step further because we actually don't know if at that point Talia is a tree or not. But either way, Zeus is still in charge. And whether or yep. not the gods want to push back or whether or not they're fearful, they don't want to meddle with the god of the skies' powers. And Nicole, when you heard that thunder rumble, did you feel that atmosphere shift? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I absolutely did. And you, and you can, it's definitely a, it's, it's also kind of like th- this call is over. Like, you're done. Don't go any further. It, it was very much a time's up. I've <laughs> let you have your time. <laughs> to, to peel back the curtain, because I know you've been through this too. This is when we're in a press junket and the publicist yes! DMs a little like, we have to wrap after this question. No more. You're done. <laughs> and, and then the talent's still talking and you're like, I can't stop them. They're talking. I don't want to be rude. This is exactly that moment. This is Zeus is the talent is the talent manager going. I will boot you. Come on, wrap it up. And Sally, and there's still stuff to be said. They're, we're finishing the answer. Um, but no, yeah, I definitely, I could definitely see it. I could definitely feel it. And it's heartbreaking. It really is. Like they're on leashes. And also I wanted to tag back to something you said about the, it's different when you're in, per, in like in the same physical location as someone you care about. If either one of them had looked at each other, they would have broken. Like bad things would have happened. And I think they both knew it. And they could it, uh, also i really appreciate this detail they also didn't have any motion of them making any physical like not even a lean like not even a body language to where she leans in the direction of his voice or anything like that i really did appreciate that yeah and i again i don't want to talk about book spoilers in this but i will say i had to reread a chapter from the last olympian the fifth book in the series when mm-hmm. writing a recent article <laughs> and if and when this show shows what happens when you try to bring a mortal being too much into the world that is a scene that is going to break us all um if you care to know what that that. scene is read the books i implore you if you're watching the show for the first time and you're impatient like i know the rest of us are and you don't want to wait till 2028 or whenever we get a season five read the books read the books and you will be you your, your eyes will open in a way that i i can't verbally tell you you have to experience for yourself um nicole we do actually get one last god in this episode we because do. percy takes the pearl he gets back to montauk if you notice the lighthouse in the background yeah fighting on santa monica we're fighting no. in in honestly a, a home arena for percy like this is familiar territory for him aries is stepping up and we get this great moment where i'm like <sighs> why am i only paying seven dollars for disney plus i should be paying pay-per-view <laughs> price tag because we got the red corner we got the blue corner poseidon is narrating as aries and percy walk slowly towards each other and we get that great moment of them both wielding their swords and poseidon saying when that day comes i will be right by his side side. it's gonna be fight night next week oh my this is your royal rumble this is your royal rumble coming up like forget actual wrestling this is it the real royal rumble is this saturday too it could have been better timing it could not seriously like the schedule i thought about that i'm like dang they teed this up perfectly you're gonna you're just gonna be on this high next time you know when we sit down next week you're gonna be on this like elevated experience because you got the royal rumble and you got the real royal rumble like living your best life 
There's there's so much to love. But before we get out of here, Nicole, before we wrap up this review, we do actually have one last interview. One, two, three total interviews on this episode of Riptide Radio. She wasn't in this episode, but her father was in at the very end. We're joined now by Dior Goodjohn, Miss Clarice LaRue. Dior, thank you so much for taking the time today. How you been? Thank you for having me. I've been good. I've been good. How you been? Fantastic. And it's just like, it's wild to be in this part right now of the show where it feels like everything is happening everything is culminating and i'm sad to say that your character we haven't seen you on screen in some time but what i think must be a luxury for you uh is something that charlie mentioned to me when we spoke before is that when you're not on screen you're like watching these episodes for the first time in real time like you did you get the script for anything you're seeing right now no it's like i knew what was gonna happen because obviously like, we read the books but it's so good and it's done like it's so much better than I could have ever imagined it. It's it's awesome. Yeah, and how how have you been watching them? I know Charlie said that they were having like watch parties in LA. Have you been a part of that? So yeah, no, it's funny. We did like a watch party for the first two. Then I we got together. I think we tried to get together for the third, and then uh, we've just been like playing like tag, trying to figure out whose house we're going to for like each episode. It's so fun. It's like we're a little family. It's so cute. In terms of getting cast, uh, when that audition came through, uh, how many how many rounds did you go through? Uh, was any of it in person? Like, what were you doing in order to get this role? It is actually a really funny story. The first time I ever knew, like, when I found out that Percy was auditioning people, I was in the Dominican Republic filming Are You Afraid of the Dark? And one of my friends um, that was on the show with me was auditioning for one of the characters. And so I read with them while we were, I, like, they were doing their tape and I was like, I'll read with you. And I was reading the script and I was like, this would be really cool for me to audition for, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. It's like Greek gods. Like I'm not really like the spec. And so, um, we finished shooting and then I go to LA to go handle some stuff before, um, we go back to Iran. I'm half Persian. So we were living in Iran at the time. And, um, we're in LA sorting our stuff out and I get an audition for Clarice. And I was like, no way, that's crazy. So I do my first audition. Um, and then I don't watch the movies because I asked my, uh, what's it called, manager. I'm like, listen, I've been reading the lore and they're t like the fans hate the movie. So I don't know if I should watch it. I don't know if I should, I don't know what happened. She's like, don't watch the movie. So I bought the book instead. But <laughs> I did my first audition, didn't hear back for a little bit. I heard back from my second audition when I was in Iran. and. Um, I was on the phone with my acting coach and I was like, what can I do to like make myself stand out? Like, I really, really want this role. Like, she's such a good character. Like her story is so complex. Like I want to play her so bad. And my acting coach goes, well, I highly doubt anybody's going to be doing like spear choreography. And so I took apart like my, I had like a little recording, like, like studio situation, like in my bedroom. So I took apart my mic stand and put tin foil on like one of the ends of my nightstand to make like an electric looking part. And in my callback, I did sphere choreography and I actually like slapped like my computer with my mic stand and it almost broke, but it's okay because I got the part. <laughs> so I think it was like three rounds over like maybe one and a half months just to like, or timeline. Yeah. So when that first check cleared, you just bought a new laptop? Was that the case? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god man it was a mess the laptop was falling dude I like ripped the paint off the ceiling in my mom's like living room in Iran because like I needed space and so like I put command strips on like, the ceiling and like put like a bed sheet behind me and then like at the end of the audition it came falling off and then my mom had to repaint her ceiling it was a mess uh that first day on set do you have like that specific memory of walking into all of your scenes were in Camp Half-Blood so was it that hurt. like the only place that you were filming 
we shot um in the actual camp half blood which was like it was so surreal it was outside it it felt like act like like camp it was insane it was an insane feeling and then the only other thing that i shot um inside was the bathroom scene where i shove his head into a toilet um <laughs> i remember like me and my mom walked onto set and like we didn't understand the magnitude of percy until we got on set and saw camp half blood and we both looked at each other and then looked back and just kept walking we were like oh my god so this is like the biggest deal like ever possibly at all <laughs> yeah you were in a custom-made disneyland essentially like that's what it seemed like especially watching some behind the scenes footage and then watching it unfold on disney plus itself um how long were you filming for because i i know uh i keep mentioning charlie he's the longest like most in-depth interview i've done so far uh so he's a lot of my frame of reference for this he said that yeah. he would go in for like a week or two and then and then pop back uh for you cumulatively how how long were you on set i feel like uh cumulatively I was probably on set for maybe I have no like time like frame of reference of time <laughs> I feel like it was maybe like like consecutively if you were to put it all together maybe like two three like months like of me actually being like on set like maybe like two three months but um I was flying just like Charlie we were we were honestly we were on the same flight a lot of the time we were flying in and out like maybe for like a year not a year, like maybe like eight months, nine months, Charlie for longer than me. I feel like I was maybe like nine to 10 months. He was definitely in and out for like a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember just seeing the production of starting in June of 22, ending February less than a year ago. And I'm just like, man, that is, that's a whole school year uh, on, on a film set. So very <laughs> impressive. Uh, you guys should be very proud. Um, but also some, just what I'm seeing on social media, it seems like some of the best memories also happened offset uh you guys going to out to dinner uh bonding and stuff like that uh and something i find so fascinating is just looking at like your imdb charlie walker arian leah everyone has such limited filmography credits and it feels like you guys are like growing up and learning the ropes of acting and hollywood as a whole on yeah. this production together uh and so that creates like such a unique bonding experience too because you're also going through your teenage years together so yeah. with that in mind uh did you like form any specific bonds with your castmates that went beyond uh just how your characters interact on screen yeah like when they say that young hollywood is a cult it is we all know each other everybody knows each other everybody's going through the same thing and everybody's friends with each other but with percy tip i mean depending on what set you're on you can either be really tight-knit with your cast or it can be really choppy and luckily with Percy, everybody got along so well. And we kind of like instantly formed this little like family. I remember being so nervous the first day, like walking in and like I went into the makeup trailer and I saw Leah there and she was getting her hair braided. And I was like so nervous. I was like, oh my God, that's anime. Like, oh my God. And like, she was an empire and oh my God, like dude, like she's so good. And then she was like, oh my god girl I love your hair and like immediately like the like guard went down and then I remember like Walker like kind of like letting like the, his guard down for the first time um and it was so cool and it was just so cool and I had actually known um actually I'm not sure if Charlie and I had met but we knew each of each other from our through our friend Brandon and um it was just so cool and then I remember us all like going out to dinner for the first time and it was just so fun and we all just kind of clicked like Charlie was instantly at least for me 
Charlie was instantly Grandpa Charlie. And then <laughs> Walker was like, I like Walker's just so cool. He's so cool. I view him like my little brother. He's so awesome. And Leah, I view as my little sister. She's so talented. But yeah, no, it's it's so awesome. We've had like the best times ever. We mentioned the the week to week viewership and all that, and the fact that uh, you're seeing scenes for the first time that you're not involved in. When Adam pops up as Aries, good old good old <laughs> father Aries. Um, I, I remember talking to Arian about this, how Arian felt genuine fear when he slammed the table down in the diner. And I was like, that's exactly what Dior made Walker feel when he snapped <laughs> that spear. You guys oh, have that. Yeah, right. Like even <laughs> you guys, you guys hadn't met until the premiere, got that on camera, comic book exclusive right there. Yeah, you did. And, Literally. <laughs> and um, the fact that you guys have already like gelled in that way, despite never being on screen together yet uh, is amazing and uh, not even meeting off off screen either um so when you're watching that episode as a whole are you like feeling like a proud daughter dude i'm watching that episode and i'm just like you're an amazing actor he's so good and it's not that my bar for him was set low or anything i expected like we have like a so like a stacked cast i don't think there's one weak like weak link in this show but he's so good and he's so good at just being on all the time and i was kind of just like Okay, Adam. We haven't got confirmation just yet, but Jesus Christ, the viewership doesn't lie. <laughs> 26 million views on the premiere since the premiere a uh, little uh, a month ago today, I believe. Like that's just like it's wild. insane. It's box ticking. We all we all know it's probably going to happen. And season <laughs> two, especially for you, will be a big deal because Sea of Monsters is your freaking quest. Uh, okay. So when you when you were doing your research as Clarissa and reading these books, uh, is there a specific moment from the Sea of Monsters book that just has you? so anticipated to shoot listen from sea of monsters i'm just happy that i like get to like captain an army full of dead people that's so cool like you can't tell me that's not awesome like i can't wait to see like what the ship's gonna look like and what everybody's makeup is gonna look like that's just gonna be so cool but my biggest thing that i'm excited for is when i have my like conversation with my dad and he's like listen you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this by yourself i don't care if you're gonna die and I'm like, but dude, and he's like, no. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Especially when it's going to be Adam and Dior too. Cause like, so good God. You, you got... like Patrick's of it all. I'm so yeah. excited. You guys are thespians at the end of the day. Um, Dior, again, those are all the questions I have. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And I hope we get to chat again when we officially get season two announced because I'm, <laughs> I'm speaking into existence. It's going to happen. We are. We're manifesting it. Thank you so much to Jay Duplass to Toby Stevens, and to Miss Dior Goodjohn for joining us on a supersized edition of Riptide Radio, the most expert insight we have ever had in an episode. And honestly, I got to give a shout out to our fourth bit of expert insight, Miss Nicole Drum. Nicole, you broke down everything so beautifully uh, this episode, and I know you have stuff going on outside of the realm of Percy Jackson. So if anyone wants to read your expert analysis outside of hearing your voice on Riptide Radio, what do you have going on at comicbook.com? Well, I'm going to be, uh, most people know the Academy Award nominations came out today and I got some thoughts. I, I, I've got some thoughts specifically about the snubbing of Barbie and I, I'm going to be breaking that down. And if anybody wants to get caught up, Barbie was my Super Bowl last year. And um, so there's a lot of fun stuff there. And I also just recently, um, I still have not gotten the deaf representation thing out because I got sidetracked trying to like break down all the crazy theories about who is Ellie Conway for the Argyle movie coming up. So if you've been wanting to figure that mystery out checked out my breakdown that is live on comicbook.com right now of all the possibilities of who the real Ellie Conway actually is. I love a good mystery. 
Matthew Vaughn refused to admit to me that she is not real. I, I have done my research. I talked oh. to Matthew Vaughn at New York Comic Con. I'm going to have to read your breakdown because I need some convincing. I, I did not put who I think they actually are in there because I want people to decide for themselves. But personally, I think it's an idea by Matthew Vaughn given to an established writer interesting oh my god because I, I i really do i really do just feel like this is something matthew vaughn cooked up in that mind of his like i really do wow argyle's heating up i love it uh speaking of oscar snub shout out my boy zach efron uh you know needs oh! all the love and more for the iron claw that was he the was best robbed. movie released last year and not a single nomination absolutely ridiculous but still that movie's been uh, robbed man robbed absolutely robbed i'm excited to, to break down all oscar stuff i it's one of my favorite seasons of the year it's a great time Same. to catch up on movies uh that just flew under the radar when we were both busy covering other things um but as for me all my stuff is on comicbook.com and i really don't have much going on outside of the realm of percy jackson so if you like percy jackson and you're here a <laughs> lot more interview articles uh everything that was covered in today's show uh, from Dior, from Jay, from Toby will also be available in written form on comicbook.com and snippets from those interviews, you know, even though some of them are audio, we'll find a way to spice it up and we'll put it on social. So at comic book on Instagram, at comic book nation on Twitter, uh, comic book nation, this YouTube channel, and also on my personals at Liam T. Crowley, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff. And I can finally announce, you know, I've been teasing every time we have an upcoming episode that we might have a special guest. I can confirm that we will have both Adam Copeland and Toby Stevens breaking down their respective finale scenes next week when we review the finale. So that's right. We have expert insight from Aries from the Aries fight and Toby Stevens from whatever scene he has in the finale. You, you see, you've seen it in the trailer. You know that he has a scene in the finale. I won't tell you which one it is because we'll save it for next week. But until then, we all are so excited to see uh, what happens. And we're excited to finish out the season of Percy Jackson on Riptide Radio. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,